What's going down, party people? Welcome back to the highway with Kyle Shut. It is so good to be here. I hope you're all still alive after Halloween. Uh, as I record this, it is not quite Halloween yet, so my plans for Halloween are going to uh, going to go to the Mohawk to see the hives, and I'm going to dress up as Thor. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. I've got a treat for you today, as always. We got Mr. Adrian Casada on the program. He's in Black Pumas. He uh, produced the Swords High Country. He's been in Grupo Fantasma and Brownout. So many bands. So much music has come out of this man. And it is a pleasure to sit down with him and uh, pick his brain about Prince stories because he's got a bunch of them. As always, if you like what you're hearing on the program, go ahead and hit that follow button. Click that subscribe tab. You do whatever you got to do to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And if you want to go one step further, you can catch us at patreon.com slash thehighway. For a few bucks a month, you can help me keep this show going. You can get yourself a monthly guitar lesson from me. You can pick up some sweet Kyle Shut merch. And everybody gets a shout out on the program like Zena Zarfin. What's up, girl? Jeff Terrell, just to name a few. Thank you all so much for your help. We couldn't do it without you. And we also got to give some mad love to our sponsors, Heil Sound. Because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. I could go on and on thanking each and every one of y'all for so many things, but I'd rather talk about Prince. Let's do things my way. The Highway. Yo, what's up, my dude? Yo, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, man. How's it going? I'm doing fine. It is windy as shit today here in Austin. I know it's crazy. <laughs> wow, dude! I just went. I, I went down the street on my bike and fucking almost fell over. Yeah, I bet, dude. Yeah, I, I just I had to stay inside. I hate the wind. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. Again, man, Adrian Casada, everybody from Black Pumas, Grupo Fantasma, uh, so many bands over the years, and, you, and you've produced so many records, uh, including The Swords High Country. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on, man. You're one of my oldest friends in Austin. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Um, I usually like to start. Uh, kind of at the beginning uh, with what got us into playing music and hopping in vans and stuff like that. But you just got back from opening for the Rolling Stones. Wow, dude. Like, totally wild. Dude, what the hell, man? <laughs> I don't even have any questions. I just got to say, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> there it is, man. Great question. What the hell? Yeah. It was crazy, man. Super insane. Just like, just utter insanity. Like, you know, and in a weird way, like, when you start playing guitar when you're like 12, that's what you think this shit's going to be like all the time. Uh-huh. You know, like a stadium full of like however many people. But uh, this is the first time it's happened to me. <laughs> it was crazy. Was that the biggest show you've ever played? I, I think so, man. Yeah. Uh, we had done, we had opened for Prince at the O2 Arena in London, but it wasn't, it was smaller than that. Uh, this was, I looked it up in the official, um, capacity there at the stadium was 73,000 but I think the back was closed off behind right, the stage yeah. so like I, I'd imagine there was 40 or 50 yeah, just a measly 50,000 you know I, I know like, man yeah. it's like whatever dude yeah <laughs> are you gonna do more with them or is that kind of like one and done no that was it man we uh that was the only date we could do and because uh just of our other our own uh yeah. shows and yeah and we'll see if they they tour more you know that's all that matters you, you only need one yeah, exactly. No doubt. <laughs> well, okay. Now we can actually dial it back uh, to the beginning. Uh, I've always loved all the bands that you've been in. Uh, mostly found out about you from Grupo Fantasma back in the day, and uh, yeah. we've talked about this uh, a little bit before when Alex Marrero was on the show. But um, like Grupo was 
like, or I guess we should start with emos in Austin, the the, the original emos at Sixth and Red River, because that was when yeah. downtown was still popping, and mm-hmm. uh, Sixth was kind of like where like the college crowd would hang out, and Red River was where all like the punks and the Heshers and stuff would hang out. And so emos was kind of the nexus between all that, and um, Austin has like. It still has it in a way, um, sort of that spoiled mentality where, you know, we get all the good shows and um, people don't necessarily go as ape shit in Austin as they do in Milwaukee, per se, or something like that. But um, uh-huh. but especially at Emo's, everyone was too cool for school, just, you know, stand there and just kind of like, you know, like they're at a funeral instead of a rock show. But Grupo was one of the few bands that could just get the butt shaken. And y'all would turn outside Emo's into a dance party every single time. And I, I, I loved seeing y'all shows back in the day. It was, it was just as much fun as going to see, you know, you, you would see Grupo one night and then like Carcass the next night. And then like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was such a, a hugely important venue uh, for us back in the day, man. Um, yeah, how did, how did y'all start Grupo? I mean, like I, just when you start a band that big, you know what I mean? Like you had to have a huge vision, right? Well, you know, yeah, not, but we didn't really like actually because I just did something with Beto and Greg and I did this. Um, who were the other founding members? Uh, we just had to do this this interview this last Friday, and I, I kind of got like teary eyed. I was like, I got home and was telling my wife Celeste like, "Damn, we've been like we've been those. Well, first of all, those guys have been playing since like fucking eighth grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Greg and Beto have been playing since like eighth grade. I've been playing with those guys since '96. Um, and we were like kind of they were asking us a lot of stories about it, and we haven't gotten to, we haven't all been together in a while, and we haven't definitely haven't talked about it it was like damn man it was like kind of got like teary-eyed it was kind of emotional just thinking about how much shit we've been through mm-hmm. you know just as it is as it happens when you become a family with your band but on top of that just it's been a, it's been a long time but it kind of happened organically like we were i just we just kind of rehashed all these memories which i you know would have taken me a second but uh the other day luckily we did talk about it like kind of so they those guys moved here it was quite funny because they used to play this place in Laredo, they were a band called the Blimp Trio, which was like the coolest band in Laredo, which is where we're from, Laredo, Texas. And I always thought they were like too cool for school. I was like, oh my god, the fucking Blimp. they were like rock stars to me in Laredo. And uh, <laughs> and they used to play, they used to play at a pizza place called Sal's Pizza, and that was like every night they, or every weekend they played like Thursday through Saturday. Um, and Bethel was saying they would like sell out Sal's Pizza three nights a week, and then they'd make like five hundred bucks total for the weekend <laughs> for the entire weekend. But they moved to Austin. And I had a band called Blue Noise Band that I was in, and it was kind of like this like poor man's punk jazz thing. Uh, and then they moved up here and started playing shows. Well, because I already knew, knew of those guys that we like quickly connected and and we're like, man, let's just do shows together. So it was funny because our big break, I was like laughing because they went from South Pizza to Double Dave's Pizza. Our big, our first <laughs> show here in town was so we were we owned the fucking pizza circuit, like the one on campus. We did the uh, huh? yeah, the Double Dave's oh, Pizza used to have like a. Uh, I don't remember what night of the week it was, but they, they offered us a gig and we did both bands and um, it was a smashing success, bro. We sold out Double Dave's Pizza like okay. on, uh, on campus. And so, yeah, then we, we did that. And then at the time we used to hang out at this place on a uh, Mainer Road in Austin, which is called the Mainer Road Coffee House, eventually became Gabby and Moe's and then it yep. became something else. And right now I think it's... Uh, it's El Chile still, right? Yeah, yeah, no. exactly. So, yeah, that was the first show I ever played in Austin. Was at that when it was Gabby and Moe's, or maybe the oh, Sa- yeah. Sacred Cup right after that. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. Opening for Municipal Waste back in like '01 or something like that. Jeez. In there? Oh wow! Yeah. Crazy. So that spot was like so when back when it was Mainer Road Coffee House. So a bunch of the Grupo guys lived uh, down the street on Mainer Road. They had a house and all lived there. So that was just kind of our hang. We'd go there. Mm-hmm. So eventually we did. We may have done Double Dave one more time, and then. 
we uh, started booking shows at that coffee shop together because our friend worked there. And we so we did it like two or three more times. And then at the end of the night, inevitably, like we'd all get drunk and everybody would get on stage and we'd just kind of jam. And uh, that's kind of where, where it came from. It was like both bands came together. And then we used to we got invited to do a bunch of co-op parties at the time, like in West Campus. Oh, yeah. And um, and that's when we thought well like well might as well the party thing is when we all play together you know and like all 10 of us are like up on stage and it's just crazy so we actually originally the prototype to grupo was we had a band called the young silly bitches and uh <laughs> and, which we there's no way you could call start a band nowadays called young silly bitches but back then we did and it was uh just kind of like we knew like two funk covers and like we actually wrote some songs we wrote like two or three and then we learned a couple of like latin cumbia songs and uh that was just the party we would just show up and play like those songs for two hours and then that kind of just morphed into like man we're actually like kind of cool when we play with both bands together and then that sort of just became grupo so we were we'd talk about it we never quite did it and then i think the big move was that i just booked a gig i just i uh i was a uh, working for a friend of mine at this place called the Empanala Parlor on East on a sixth street, which is now, uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, the bakery, easy tiger. Oh yeah. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say tiger King, easy tiger. Um, that place, my friend used to book that and I used to work there and like hang out there like four nights a week. And I, I just called him one day and he could, he saw us play and I was like, dude, you need, it was Friday night. I promise you. I promise you we'll have a hundred people in there. And, uh, cause we, you know, word was like spreading all our friends would come uh -huh. and I just booked it. And I just called those guys and was like, all right, dude, we have a gig. <laughs> we have a band. Like we have to do this. We're playing at Empanada Parlor Friday night. It's our big break. And that was it. That was as much as like we thought forward. And then, uh, you know, once we started playing, I mean like really one gig snowballed to the next where like mm -hmm. all of a sudden we were really genuinely worth selling out the club and, and we decided to focus on that. But yeah, originally it was just kind of thrown together. And I mean, I just kickstarted it by just booking a gig and telling everybody like, all right, we have a band now. We're official. We have a gig. You know? That's how you do it, folks. You just say yes and exactly. then figure it out later. You know, that's exactly. <laughs> I love that. And so what year was that? What do you think? Like whenever that finally closed? Um, so the, fir the first gig, uh, I'm always off with this. Uh, Bethel's the one that always has it right. He just told me it was, the band is 21 years old. So good God, the first gig was 2000. 2000, yeah. So then, through through that, all that growth and everything. So that means that by the time your live album came out, that was what 05. That, yeah, around there, up, yeah. Up for a Grammy for that, and you it, uh, took it home. That's just fucking incredible, man. Um, I'm still so proud of you for all your accomplishments. But that was about the, the same time the sword started coming up, and uh, just uh -huh. I, we were always just passing each other i would see your stickers you know in clubs everywhere that we would play and just thinking like man they got a 13 piece band playing fucking reggie's in chicago that's insane you know what i mean like just <laughs> just imagine so funny enough the guy like, who uh, in vans like that just driving around with that oh movie. yeah dude we used Sorry, to we used to do the we used to do the, the all of us in one van which is crazy but <laughs> funny enough the guy who first told me about y'all was my friend damon who used to book uh who the guy who who booked them but parlor who i was telling you about the guy who gave us our first gig was the person who told first told me about you all you all played I, it might have been a south by southwest party at the compound do you remember that on east fourth uh -huh. yeah. like next to scoot next to scoot in all that uh you that guys played a, a party ago. there yeah dude that was he was he saw you all there and was like blown away and because he that was his house he lived there crazy and uh that was the first time somebody told me about you all you know it was just so cool like seeing y'all eventually because and, and i definitely wanted to touch on this because everybody that listens to the show knows that I'm a huge Prince fan 
And uh, mm-hmm. whenever, about the time that Metallica tapped us to start coming open for them was about the time Prince tapped y'all to come open for him. And so anytime that we would see y'all at like Bonnaroo or anywhere yeah, like that, I remember we, that yeah. we were just a bunch of like like metalheads that wanted Prince stories and you were a bunch of like dudes in this like cumbia band that wanted like Metallica stories. You know, so yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Totally bothered with that. But like, um, how, how fucking crazy was that getting that phone call from Prince? Oh, it was wild, man. Uh, you know, the, the thing, the thing is like he, I think in the, the, the difference probably, I, I don't know what it was like, what Metallica's like personally, but like he was so mysterious with everything, man. Like, you know, it was like, we, we got the gig and the first gig and all we knew was that we were doing one Thursday night. So what happened was he had a, Band on thank uh he had a latin night at his residency and he took over the 31 uh the rio hotel uh-huh. and had a club called 3121 there and so he had a latin night on thursdays and there was a band that was supposed to, that was playing every thursday and didn't want to do thanksgiving so he threw us in there they were like well you guys play thanksgiving so fuck yeah we'll, we'll do whatever <laughs> christmas christmas you know new year's whatever we'll do it and we did it and we thought like, all right, this is it. This is a big break. And he he didn't like. We waited for him backstage after. Didn't come. Didn't come talk to us. Didn't do anything. We just waited around. We we're like, I guess that was it. You know, if that's if that's as much as we had accomplished, that would have been cool. Imagine just telling that story. Like, yeah, that one time you opened. That one time you played Prince's Club was cool. We flew home the next morning. By the time we got home, he had fired the other band, made us his house band, and. By the time I got off the plane, our manager called and was like, uh, are you ready to go every Thursday? Because Prince wants you guys to be the house band. So, we, I mean, but we were like, well, what the fuck? He didn't, like, talk to me. He didn't say anything yeah. to us. And that's just how he rolled. But then eventually, so we started doing every Thursday at this club. And uh, eventually, he, like, one day just jumped on stage with us. And then after that, he just started talking to us. And then he invited us to do this Golden Globes after party. And that was the first time we, like, truly interacted with him. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, and then we... We, uh, we, you know, we definitely got to got to know him as much as anybody would get to know Prince, you know. But, but it was uh, it was a crazy, crazy ride. It lasted a few years. Yeah, that's that's absolutely nuts. Because weren't you guys like, you were playing the shows like opening for him in the arenas, and then also playing the after parties. Yeah, Wasn't we that would do going? that. That's yeah. just like so. What you're playing for like what five hours a night, something like that. Um, yeah, he would jam forever. And you know, what's funny that this, again, I, like Beto and Greg and I were just kind of remembering some of this stuff, but like the first real test he threw at us was, uh, the golden globes. We had actually just gotten home from Vegas from doing that. And we got a call back the call. Like, can you guys get to the airport right away? He needs you back in LA for uh, a golden globes after party. We had no, we didn't know if we were opening or we didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, we just got flown all the way right back to LA got there and we got to this hotel suite it was i mean it wasn't even a stage it was just like a huge hotel room and there was this back line set up in the corner at this point we kind of knew some of his crew we knew his crew like his sound guy the guitar techs and stuff so we were kind of like what's going on like are we opening what are we doing and they're like we have no idea what's going on they're like (laughs) we just get told where to show up and set up all the stuff so we're waiting around and like they show up and somebody's like, Oh no, his band's not here. And we were like, what do you mean his band's not here? And they're like, no, it, it's you guys are the band. And we were like, well, what are we playing? Cause we didn't rehearse or we, we were, we're not prepared, you know, for this. We yeah. know like one Prince song. And uh, they were like, no, he just wants to, he just wants to jam with you guys. He just wants to play your set. And Beto was talking about how like, it felt like he was testing us. Although but we were like, bro, we've been playing parties for five hours straight. Like we know if uh-huh. there's anything we know how to do is fucking, jam for four hours you know like better than like learning of somebody else's set yeah so totally in a way it actually just worked out perfect like we he showed up to soundcheck and um 
I was like, well, what are we playing? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? And he was like, why don't we just jam? Let's do some funky stuff. And you guys just play and I'll just play along with you all. I was like, damn, that's actually what we do best is just uh-huh. jam. We, you know, we only, we started only knowing like five songs. So we just did that, man. And we fucking killed that one. That was like, and it was all like A-list celebrities. It was all like a big deal, Hollywoody stuff. But that was, we got thrown, our first test was like, you know, just he, I was our bread and butter was like, oh man, that's actually what we started doing was jamming at house parties, you know, like making people dance and just go crazy. And like, uh, so yeah, that, that was our kind of first big test. And then from there, yeah. So then he knew that we could play like after parties and, and, you know, jam and make people dance and stuff. So he would throw that, that at us, like that kind of stuff. We, he'd do a show and then say like, well, you guys just play the after party or whatever. That's crazy. How good of a guitar player was he when you're just jamming with him? insane insanely good and also uh he played every instrument better than everybody in the room so it was really <laughs> really intimidating dude it was so intimidating would he hop around and just like just play whatever he felt like at rehearsal yeah uh he was he was really cool and enthusiastic and like supportive of us because i think he saw us kind of as like little bros you know where i saw him with his band you know because you heard all the stories mm-hmm. Uh, about him being a tyrant and whatever but like and and i'm sure he was you know we kind of caught him at a later period in his career and life and i and i definitely saw him rehearse with his band and like you know he he uh was a little harder on them i think with us he was a little bit he kind of more like took us under his wing so i mean there were definitely times where where it was intense and and he uh you know was kind of like his patience was Thing, but but for the most part, man, he was really encouraging to us at rehearsal. So what he would do is a lot of times is just like get on your instrument and show you, and you know was pretty was pretty cool about it, man. It was it was pretty amazing to catch him at that time and the way he the way he was with us, you know. That's so wild. I I can't even imagine. I've, I've had some you know real close encounters with a lot of heroes of mine, but um you know Prince was one of those dudes I never saw live, and I'm almost kind of glad that way. So like he'll always be that larger than life kind of thing I'll never experience. And yeah, yeah. so I, I get a little fascinated with stories about him. But uh, that thanks for sharing, man. That's awesome. It's it's different now that he's uh, not with us anymore, um, just because now you can look up anything. He was so mysterious for so long, and now you can look up shows from just um, fucking whenever, you know. <laughs> that, yeah, it's funny. That was like the one the one thing. Um, hold on, give me a second. Oh yeah. yeah. The the one thing about uh, you know, not that there was anything good about his passing, but the one thing was like I was talking to a few people about that. It's like. Not everything would get taken, and there was nothing on YouTube. He wouldn't allow anything on mm-hmm. YouTube, and like the only the only thing that came of it was that like now you can actually find his videos and find uh, you know live you said live performances and stuff. So yeah, he was he was pretty intense about it when he was alive. That's crazy uh, that he didn't take advantage of that in, in any way. But hey, whatever to each uh-huh. their own. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But after, uh, com- coming off of that though, there there always comes a point when you have to say. I've gotten all I can out of this, you know what I mean, and, and it's 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 a weird thing to happen. It happened with us and Metallica and after after like a year on tour with them. We were like, guys, we can't do this anymore. This is like we gotta go make a record. Yeah. They, they were just like, we understand, like you know, just you know, we didn't think he'd last six months. Like, go leave, ha- have fun, you know. Um, but yeah, what was that like walking away from uh, that whole situation? Um, it it was uh like it was weird because we were kind of getting to a point where sometimes it was a little bit frustrating to us because. We, uh, I wouldn't say that we were ready to walk away, but at the same time, I would say that we were already starting to set some boundaries because, like, his band was, you know, on salary, so they were they were ready to drop whatever they're doing at all times to uh-huh. just 
to go do that, you know. So there was like if he called, it was always kind of like last minute and stuff. But if he called, whatever it was, they're you know they're paid to just take off and just be there and whatever. But like we had a full calendar of our own stuff, and it was always kind of like last minute. So we'd have to cancel gigs. We had to like just do all kinds of crazy moves to make it happen all the time. And mm-hmm. he didn't care. He didn't care. Like we couldn't be like, hey, well we have to, you know. They were just like, here's the gig, are you doing it or not? So we'd have to always like take red eyes and cancel gigs and cancel. I had to cancel like the first vacation I took my wife on after childbirth. And like I had to cancel that. Like, you know, so it was always like that. So it also got to a point where, you know, we were like, all right, like we can't like we have to kind of set some boundaries here and let them know that, you know, we also have something going on. And then, uh, so we kind of started to like at some you know towards the end of it like put a little bit of boundaries down and also just not like jump out of our seat for every single little thing but but then like it just kind of ended one day to the next man and uh and then you know as soon as it does you're like oh man i wish you know i wish it had him but like you said and i think you know and i think you guys probably experience this to a certain extent but like at some point you have to get out under that shadow or you're forever going to be like yep. that band that was with Metallica and we're forever going to be like that band that played with Prince, you uh-huh. know? So it's like at some point, you know, becomes a chapter in your life and not your whole life. Yeah. Also a guy like that, he he moves around so much, you know, th- three years is a pretty rad stretch uh, mm-hmm. to, to be in that camp and around that. Well, just yeah, no doubt. the fact that he's always like moving around uh, sonically or just whatever. He's always got, Always had some different uh, kind of ideas, but that—that's God, man. That's what a rad fucking thing to have happen to you uh, in your musical career. But uh, yeah, after that, that, wasn't that around the time that uh, you uh, you moved to Nashville for a little while? Um, yeah, you, I spent it... some time there. Yeah, I was in a. Uh, so after so after I left Grupo, I left in 2013. Um, I was going to produce an album for a friend of mine. Uh, named Dante Schwebel. He's he's from my hometown. He went to my high school actually, and and uh, he had hit me up about producing some stuff, uh, some solo stuff that he was doing. He used to be in a band called Hacienda and played with Dan Auerbach uh, from the Black Keys. And so he was he was living in Nashville. He mm-hmm. called me and wanted me to produce some stuff of his solo project. And he came down to Austin and we worked on a few songs. And then it was like, well, do you want to come to Nashville and work on it over there? So I, I went to Nashville for one trip and we worked at Dan Auerbach's studio and it was uh, just so much fun. We cranked out so much stuff in like three days, sort of just morphed into a band, you know, it was like mm-hmm. all of a sudden he was like, well, you know, I don't really want to do a solo album. I kind of just like want to play with you guys. So we're like, all right. So that became a chapter where like we were, I was going up there quite a bit. We had to finish the album and then, you know, start tours there and just kind of, uh, he was living there. So I was, you know, spending quite a few, uh, we take quite a few trips there for a couple of years. Oh, okay, I, I thought you would move there like permanently for a stretch. No, no, just kind of spent a lot of time there. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, what's uh, uh, were you, were you like kind of in that Nashville scene at all? Like just um, hanging out with those guys. I just wonder like how much different it is there than it is in Austin because it's two you know really famous music towns, but two very very different places. Very different. I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was like really part of the scene, but I did get to know a lot of people through like Dante's world and that just that circle. Um, and and my observations from back this was back then you know this was uh, I don't know maybe six seven years ago or six years ago or something mm-hmm. like that uh, my my observation was that it's 
like every there's a bunch of people in Austin that play music. There's a bunch of people in Nashville that play music. Everybody there is like really embedded in the industry somehow, like in that, like you go to, you know, like a friend of mine used to do this country uh, residency. And when we would go up there, all he played bass with us. So I, we'd always go there and like go to this spot and um, just hang there and drink beer and like watch, you know, and all they were all killer country musicians that, oh, yeah. that were not on tour. And and like everybody, you look around the room and everybody's like, oh, that guy tours with, she tours with this person, that person's on this band, this person like tours with Bob Dylan, this person, whatever. Everybody there is like, like there was more industry there mm-hmm. than there were, than there was. And there's more, there was more musicians in like community here, if that makes sense. But not every, but everybody's still grinding it out here where like in Nashville, it was like somewhere between Austin and LA and that like, it's super uh, like, uh, well connected and and like just industry savvy you uh-huh. know that was my totally. i mean this was a long this was years ago so that was what i always took away was like man like everybody there has a cool touring gig like everybody there that i've met does something like in the industry or whatever uh-huh. so yeah in austin we just smoke weed and uh <laughs> basically that's what i was gonna say like <laughs> yeah Speaking of smoking Pretty weed, much. man, every time the Sword and Grupo would meet up backstage at a festival or somewhere, God, I swear we smoked all the weed. I mean, like... <laughs> Cheech and Chong, man. There was nothing left. Uh, oh, man. Oh, God. Those were the days. But, uh, yeah, the, the thing about Nashville that I've seen was uh, talking with friends that, like, made records there or uh, producers that I'm friends with there that they said, like, you know... Uh, there's very few, I'd say, bands. You just call in, like, your session people. And, like, there's a, there's a whole mm-hmm. industry um, of... Uh, people that uh, are hired to move somebody's gear from one studio to another like in an hour like so that this dude this guitar player can cut two records in a day instead of one uh-huh you know what i mean so uh-huh. um at uh that, that's just crazy to me thinking that like there's so many records are getting made all the time that you know there's a whole industry where people can just like you know um <laughs> yeah get paid to just move stuff uh really fast but um and even then like yeah, whenever yeah, you call the guy um to go down um uh, uh call the guy to like come in and like lay some guitar down um you know you can't afford like the the first tier guy you know what i mean like uh-huh. there's no he, he's already got like you know 18 records booked this month and everything but even like the number eight guy is still yeah. like so fucking good he's like better than anybody on the planet you know it's just it's just crazy uh-huh. to me like the amount of talent there Man, you know, when I'd go to, like, uh, my friend's country night, um, and they were playing, like, you know, just, like, badass old-school country uh-huh. stuff, and they were just all rippers, like, all... But what the other crazy thing, and, and I don't know if, like, this is just my friend's assessment of it or if this is real, but, like, the other thing I always notice with those guys is, like, you have, like, a guy on pedal steel or a guitarist or whatever, ever, somebody just playing, like, circles around you, and... um they're so stoic and they're just like standing there like, but they're like no emotion, <laughs> not, no rocking out, no anything. Like they're just completely like robots. And I remember asking my friend, like, why, what is it about like these country guys that like, they, they don't just, you know, like you, you don't assume like rock stance and spread, you know, like nobody rocks right. out. They're yeah. just like, you know, ripping it. And he said that he heard that it was like the kind of like the unspoken country especially like with the old school stuff that you can't uh draw more attention to yourself than the star huh. so he was like it's yeah. one of those things where like the, these people come from a system where like they can't and now i don't know if i've never heard this from anybody else that's but it made sense i was like oh yeah that's like an old school thing like you're not supposed to like up show you know 
the the singer like you're uh-huh. just supposed to, you're just do your thing like you rip it so just getting back to that know, the, there's like not as many bands yeah it's everybody's trying to be a star there and like yeah you kind of mm-hmm. hire the A team or whatever team you can afford uh, <laughs> yeah but record. even then like even then the A team like can't take attention away from like you can't it's crazy you know so yeah it's weird man there's a there's something beautiful about that but still you know I, I like to rock out too much there's no way i, I could cut it in nashville like i know <laughs> absolutely I know. no well, way <laughs> the other thing i and i was witnessing then when i was there and i'm sure it was already happening but like it was also kind of just simultaneously turning into brooklyn like then all of a sudden uh-huh. you had all these hipst- hipsters moving there where like you could just tell all of a sudden like oh it's i mean you know no different from any other like big music city but yeah. all of a sudden it was also like oh and the bands are coming here from brooklyn because it mm-hmm. sounds cooler on your it sounds cooler on your bio if you say you live in nashville than than brooklyn uh-huh. you know or whatever so it's crazy there was that too yeah but then um around that time though was like uh whenever the sword had been touring for so hard for so long and we'd sort of felt that we had exhausted everything that we could when it came to uh, this downtuned kind of like sound that we had become known for and uh, so uh-huh. we, we wanted to mix stuff up, and uh, we uh, started writing songs in you know higher keys and doing things like that. And we um, we just uh, loved the way that you had uh, approached production and stuff like that. And so when it came time to make High Country, uh, y'all had just come off like uh, the whole Prince adventure, and then like you had been mm-hmm. making records and stuff like that. And we were like, let's, mm-hmm. let's call Adrian in. Like I, we we want to do a Sign of the Times record, you know, like a, a double mm-hmm. LP, just crazy songs, all kinds of sounds, you know, just all over the place. Like, and we really wanted to yeah. push the boundaries of what stoner rock meant to people mm-hmm. because we started seeing all these bands come up that were just they all sounded the same and we're like y'all like you can make a dance pop song you know we can do like a crazy mm-hmm, acoustic mm-hmm. chicken picking thing it just like stoner rock doesn't have to be this one little black sabbath sounding thing and so uh, we called you in to do high country and um we uh i, I, I love that record just because the studio was like eight minutes away from my house like i could roll out of bed and like <laughs> i think yeah, i was usually yeah. the first one there uh making coffee and breakfast tacos and shit like that but um uh that was such a fun experience man uh making that record with you just because we just uh, uh loaded into the church house which is a studio in east austin and uh mm-hmm. which is like a it was an old church that was sort of an apartment too with a kitchen and a just so many toys and things like that that we got to yeah. play with. It was really fun, like tracking drums differently with you. Like we're, I think, for seriously mysterious, didn't we? Like program the drums and then like s- send it through an amp and then record the amp as the drum track. And yeah, shit. like just oh, all yeah. kind of weird shit yeah. that we got into. Man, that mm-hmm. was really fun. What do you uh, What do you remember from from those sessions? Well, yeah, I, I was just talking with a friend about this the other day. Do you remember like the first thing I remember? Well, I remember uh, Brian calling me, and then I think we we may have gone out for some beers. Me, you, Brian, and Jimmy. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember one thing that stood out and then I feel like doesn't really get talked about anymore is that you remember we did the whole thing tuned to 430 to a 432 and not a 440. Yeah, I've, I've talked with this to a couple of people about that because uh, it, it comes up every so often. People ask me what I think about it. And I was like, well, actually, we recorded High Country that way, which is kind of a fucking pain in the ass. Uh, it was hi- a pain in, the ass. in hindsight. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if people don't know what we're talking about, it's um, uh, n- normal guitars are tuned to uh, point. 445 hertz and that's just the frequency at which you intonate uh your uh, e string and then all the way down i'm sorry a A string but then uh, there's a theory out there that that's not true a and that true a is actually at 0.432 megahertz or it's just hertz right yeah and um yeah uh so it's slightly lower than how a guitar would normally be tuned and we were down a half step anyway we recorded that record in e flat instead of C, mm-hmm. so it was like slightly lower and um 
it's just like try well, try tuning an yeah. acoustic guitar to fucking four three two or like once we realized that we wanted to overdub some like piano on some shit we were like wait this piano is tuned to four four five like fuck how's this gonna work you know <laughs> yeah. it was every every little thing uh, tuning fine tuning the synthesizers to it and everything like that it was yeah dude, oh I, yeah I, I kind of spaced on well it it wasn't that, that was. bad when it was just the guitars you know because you just have uh-huh. a tuner and you just do it but like I remember when it came time for overdubs we were like all right let's get the synths out and then all of a sudden we made it play a synth and we're like wait a minute that's off oh we hadn't thought about how you tune ones and zeros uh-huh. down to oh, you know <laughs> information down to four thirty two but. Yeah, JD had seen. I mean, I had read like some stuff about it, but like JD had seen this video about how where they're showing crystals forming and they're playing music at 440 and then uh-huh. music at 432, and at 432 it makes like these beautiful shapes, and at 440 it was not beautiful shapes. So it was yeah, but I had a, yeah. we had a blast, man. I remember t- uh, talking to you guys, talking to Brian, and just being like, man, I'm not really like qualified to really make you know like a fucking doom metal record and he was like that's exactly why we're calling you and i'm like all right then dope then let's do it you know because like you know i love metal and all that and i loved you guys but i was like man i, I just uh but i i really appreciate that that opportunity because i feel like y'all took a, a huge chance because that was like you know you, you said a lot bands were just starting to come out and do what you guys had done a few years before and not do it as well and right there when that's what people were kind of expecting from you like yeah, everybody was always uh-huh. like, do it like the last album. You guys did one that was completely different, and it was it was a bold, like, huge chance. I always thought that was awesome. Well, thanks, man. It was, um, it, it, I remember at the end of it, I think we recorded, like, 18 songs, and all 18 songs eventually got released. I think there's 15 on the record, or maybe we did 17. So there's like 15 on the record, which was the most we'd ever put on, on an album, and then, yeah, two B-sides that um, got used on singles that came out. But um, it was just by the time we sat down and listened to all of it, we were like trying to cherry pick songs to make like a ten track record. We're like, no man, let's just put it all on there. Um, and I, uh, I think it's funny too because um, that's the one sword album that we drank on. Like we like when we tracked uh, early snow. I remember we were drunk, man. Like uh-huh. <laughs> we made a bunch of margaritas and shit, and we're like. Mm-hmm. Uh, just hanging out like after a long day of recording and then I remember like we had already done like six or seven takes of early snow and then we took a break and made some fajitas and just got kind of fucking lit up and you're like all right mm-hmm. let's let's just, let's just do a couple more and uh, I think that that take was the one that we used like the one right after we had uh, just got I mean I knew I was like three margaritas deep. yeah but uh, that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was the one too that we uh, brought the grupo horns in uh, to record yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, I was really excited about that because I wanted to bring that up at some point but I didn't know how. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to, you know, tell Adrian like, yeah, let's let's do some horns. But then one day you were like, I could tell you were like, man, I don't know, guys, I'm I'm hearing some horns on this one. <laughs> we were all like, yes, yeah, finally, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, and I remember your manager was uh, what was your manager's name? Larry at the time. Larry, man, Larry. Uh, he he was like, he came in. He's kind of an old school head, and I remember he came yeah. in and was like. That was to him, like, all right, yeah. Like, Pete, I remember he goes, this is like Peter Green era, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Like, he, he was really into that. <laughs> That's rad. But um, then that record came out uh, to uh, wildly different, uh, you know, receptions uh, from <laughs> all around. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I think whenever people came to see us on those tours and they could see, like, all the old songs mixed with the new songs, like, all sounding mm-hmm. the same, they, they, that's when it kind of clicked for all of them. But um, yeah, it's funny yeah. now that even though that that record did ruffle some feathers at the time, like, um, so many people, uh, however long it's been, six years later, uh, come out and say that's one of their favorite uh, records. So it's a rad little piece of history there. But um, Yeah, man. But uh, after that, yeah, you uh, started making records at... Uh, in your home studio 
and mm-hmm. I was just following that and everything. And then fucking out of nowhere, fucking your new band, Black Pumas, just, I, I remember seeing y'all just playing C-Boys uh, like every Thursday or something like that. And the next thing you knew, y'all just fucking exploded. And I'm so proud of y'all because I, I know that was like a really important project for you. And just watching it blossom into everything that it has been, it's just, I, I've got nothing but love for y'all, man. It was It's so incredible to see y'all sell out Stubbs five nights in a row and shit. I mean, y'all are like fucking mm-hmm. just... You're doing it, man, and it's just so fucking rad to see all. Um, where, where did that project come from? Like, was that uh, just sort of something you had cooking on the back burner for a while, or was that just another serendipitous I had kind always, of thing? I had always kind of wanted to do music like that. You know, I'd always kind of like that was kind of uh, just my jam. Like, I just always liked kind of funk and soul stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I just never like I don't know why I just never brought my could bring myself to really do like soul music for whatever reason. It was a lot of bands doing it at the time. Um, with kind of like a throwbacky sound that were great at what they did. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do that. But then I had like a summer where I had, uh, uh, made like some good money on some sync, some like licensing TV, you know, for people that don't know, just like money off music to be on like TV and film where it was like the first time in a few months where I could chill and like not have to worry about paying the bills, you know, like mm-hmm. I, bills were paid for a while. I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to just write. I hadn't done that in a long time. Like I hadn't sat down and just, you know, just like seeing what ideas could come out. I was always working on the net, hustling to the next project. And uh, I had a, a summer there where like, I just had a lot of time and I just started cranking out these kind of soul type instrumentals, uh, just making demos. I must've made like 35 of them or something over a summer and was like sitting on a pile of these and, then I was like, okay, well, they're cool as as demos, as but I want to hear them like with real musicians. So I got because I was playing everything on them. So uh-huh. I brought a, a group of guys in to play. We did them all like in a few days and and just played these demos and we just replayed them live. And I recorded all that and just had them sitting around. Was always like, man, these are so cool. And then one day I was like, you know, I should just get somebody to like write to this and sing on it. And I started asking friends all around the world, like literally just friends in LA, New York, London, like, Hey, you guys know any like cool soul singer that would do this? And people would send me ideas like, Oh, check out such and such. I'd be like, I don't know, man, it's too like retro. I don't, I, and I just like pass on it. Then I was having lunch with this uh, friend in town who lives in my neighborhood. We were just getting coffee and I was like, Hey man, you, you kind of work with like a lot of people. I was like, do you know anybody who would like be into something like that? And he just casually was like, yeah, you got to call Eric Burton. He goes, that's the, he said, that's the best singer I've ever worked with. And I was like, okay cool just like send me his info so i looked him i was like well how have i never heard of this dude like i looked him up he had only been in town for a few years and i saw these videos of him and it was him like not in a band doing like a retro soul thing but like more like singer songwriter like he was just him on a guitar like kind of i just all the videos i saw were just him playing by himself and man like i was like damn this that was the first person i reached out to i was like this dude is crazy i mean like crazy so i reached out and that was that, man. I just sent him a few. And he at first he was like, man, these are super dope. I don't, I've don't. i never really written like this. He's like, you know, he kind of always started everything on a guitar. He's like, I've never, like, written to somebody else's instrumentals. And I'm like, well, it's just, you know. So then all of a sudden he, he called me. And I remember he just, like, sang over the phone. He was, like, cranking it in the background. He's like, check this out. And he was, like, singing. I couldn't hear anything. But I just, like, his energy was amazing. I was like, dude, that. He was like, what do you think? I was like, I can't hear shit, man. But like, it, I love your, I, it sounds, I'm sure it's awesome. Just come to the studio. So he came to the studio and like the first day we picked out our first two singles, uh, Black Moon Rising and Fire. Then we uh, just kind of kept getting together. We do like once a week, you know, a couple of times a week here and there 
over the course of a few months, all of a sudden we had like 10 songs. And it was like, I remember that it was the end of 2017. And I was like, man, every time we got together, I was just like in my head, like the first thing I thought was like, damn, I can't start another band. Like I've already cashed that in way too many times. I can't start another band. Like I can't do this. But every time I would just think like, man, it would be so fun to play this stuff. And then one day I was just like, hey, you know what, man? I've been like holding back on this. Like, I think it would be so fun to play this stuff live because we had never played it live. He was like, man, I've been thinking the same thing. Let's do it. So we booked a residency at Sea uh, Boys. Uh, we did a month, which just turned into two months. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we were rehearsing and playing and just got chills, man. After that first show, I was like, oh, shit, here we go again. I'm in a band. You know, I'm in a band. And it's, but it's, yeah. and that was it, man. All of a sudden, like, that was. Our first show was 2018. I've said it know, before. So. It's like organized crime. There's always like yeah. just one more job. Uh, exactly. Just, exactly. This, this yeah, last yeah. one, and then that's it. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. They always it's somehow. It's like Godfather they Three. They pull in. me back in. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's just so awesome. And then since then, y'all have just exploded. So if anybody out there hasn't heard Black Pumas, you're about the only one. Uh, go check them out. And uh, yeah, I always ask my uh, musician guests if they want to play a song. Uh, is there any uh, Pumas you want to play, or you can play anything at all, man? Uh, it could be Brano Grupo. It doesn't matter, man. But. Uh, yeah, what, what are you pushing um, right now? Uh, yeah, let's play some Pumas. Let me, let me, uh, see. Well, we play Pumas songs every night, and I can't remember. Um, I would say <laughs> if you play Black Moon, Black Moon Rising, to me, it was always special because that was the first one we cut, and not only that, but like, we we weren't called Black Pumas yet, and we, I don't know, I just feel like it, that was like this serendipitous moment where it was like he captured the vibe just perfect of exactly what it was going to be. It was like the lyrical content, the the uh, vibe the like overall kind of smokiness and moviness to it all like uh he nailed it on that and that was you know kind of one of the things that uh kickstarted it all so yeah black moon rising that was literally the first song we recorded hell yeah well we're gonna play that right now man adrian thanks so much for coming on man i really appreciate you brother i've got Dude, so much love from me, you. Man. absolutely man and uh i'm sure i'll catch you on down the road now that we can all play shows and shit again man this is uh it's exciting times Hell yeah, dude. So I want to say one thing, man. Uh, yeah, what's like, up? I, I, my phone, my, I got like a notification on my phone because I'm on my AirPods. Uh-huh. And I clicked on it and it was it accidentally opened Instagram. And just so you know that they're listening, man. You know how we were just talking about Metallica? A yeah. Metallica ad, sponsored ad just came out <laughs> on my Instagram. Like as soon as I opened it, it was a sponsored ad by Metallica. So they're, they're listening, man. They're listening. Well, hopefully, right. <laughs> hopefully they're, they'll buy some records too while they're at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks again, right, well, man. Thanks, man. Love you, brother. I'll talk to you soon, all right? Yeah, man. Talk right. soon. Bye.
so much for tuning into the highway this week a big shout out to reverend guitars Railhammer pickups and earthquaker devices if you liked what you heard you can follow where you can follow subscribe where you can subscribe and if you want to go one step further you can support us on patreon at the highway with kyle shut for a few bucks a month you can help us keep this party going get early access to next week's episode and even get yourself a shout out